0: That's a sensational catch, absolutely brilliant from Hooper, was hit back firmly by Mialo, Hammered down the ground, it could fly all the way for a maximum, it's going to soar into the sky, that's the six they needed, that's 50 for brush. what a knock that is from him, outstanding striking and that six brings Guernsey back into the game.
1: Could be a catch, what a catch, one handed grab and that's Josh Butler the captain, oh my days we have been treated to some catches in this tournament. Welcome to Guernsey Cricket's podcast, I'm Ben Furbrush, Cricket Development Manager and on this podcast we're going to be chatting to players old and new, coaches, administrators and hopefully a few other cricketing keen beans along the way. On today's podcast we've got Knots and Guernsey Premier League legend Paul Franks. So no strangers to Guernsey cricket, welcome to the podcast Paul Franks. Morning, mate. How you doing?
0: Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, do you want to explain your connection to to Guernsey cricket? Ooh, crikey, Where did it start? It started years and years ago, mate. I think we first came to the island sort of in in the early two thousands when um, Nottinghamshire was still bringing beneficiaries over to play in various games and bits and bobs, and you know it became very evident there was a strong passion for cricket. Um, um, the, the social aspect of cricket shining through to the fore as well. Very well, uh, very well run. Excellent hospitality um, and always look forward to coming back. Uh, obviously, more recently, albeit it seems like a while ago now, I came back to play um, some, some Saturday afternoon cricket with you guys in the Guernsey Premier League. Really enjoyed that. That was really, really good fun. Um, so, yeah, strong affiliation. We've got some good friends down there and, you know, hopefully it won't be too long before we get a chance to come back.
1: Yeah, and that was really good. So the GPL, obviously, that you mentioned there was a great tournament for us. Um, And also for us as players, obviously, I was a bit younger then, Um, you know, (laughs) picking your brains and stuff. (laughs) So if we sort of rewind back to the start, where did cricket all start out for you?
0: Cricket started in my local village. Um, I grew up a couple of streets from the cricket ground where my grandfather who sadly passed away just before I was born, was one of the committee members. My dad then took on more of a responsibility at the club. Um, as he was sort of growing up, he was, became groundsman and mum got involved. My dad became a very fine player himself. So I just got sort of tagged along as an only child. I didn't have much choice and then sort of fell in love with cricket at a young age. And I was basically, as we did back in that generation, grew up playing with people that were older than me. Um, so there wasn't many kids my age in the village where I lived who, play cricket. So I had to sort of do a lot of fielding to start with as I was playing with the older lads. Um, didn't get much of a chance to bat or bowl and just sort of cracked on. Um, and then, you know, as time went on, I started to get a bit better and a bit more physically capable as well. So that meant I could crack on and, and play some games and really enjoyed it um, and sort of went from there really. Yeah. And then so you worked your
1: way through the, the age groups of club cricket, uh, like you said there. Uh, and then you made your Knotts debut in 1996 as a 17-year-old. Was that big honour of being from the area?
0: <laughs> it was, yeah. I'd, I'd been lucky enough to be in the majority of the age group systems uh, from, from, when I was, from when I was 12. Um, but it hadn't just been a straight line. I'd, I'd sort of have a good year and then I'd have a bad year. So 13, under 13s, I was terrible. Under 14s, I sort of came back a little bit. And then under 15s, I really started to settle into... You know some proper cricket and playing well and playing consistently. And from there, I, I got an opportunity to play in the not second team um, because physically I was, I was capable by then. I was you know I was yeah. a young man who was making his way, um, and that then led to you know to a to a debut. I, I think I, as, as I sort of got to that age, I I didn't find it a struggle to to step into the next level of cricket. So I went from club second eleven into club first eleven into not second eleven and yeah you know, without sounding too big headed it all sort of seemed to happen naturally and it was all sort of everybody kept saying oh you know you know don't expect too much and, rah, 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 and and all that sort of and i sort of took a backward seat from that and thought no i'm going to go in here and i'm not yeah. just here to make up the numbers type thing so when my first team not first team debut came around I, I, I suppose i felt ready i was you know i had been doing well i've been practicing with the pros for quite a long time so it seemed like a natural progression
1: yeah, you, you mentioned it there about feeling ready. So, 1997 was your first uh, full season. Broke onto the scene with a hat trick against Warwickshire, uh, which was the first in a decade for Knots. Uh, and then following that, you went on to win the Under 19 World Cup, performing pretty well in that tournament as vice
0: captain as well. I mean, that must have been a pretty special year. It's one of the it, mate. That hat trick was bizarre. I, was, I, I got told I was bowling the first over after tea, but normally you, you get a bit more of a heads up nowadays, don't you? Like the captain yeah. will have a quick <laughs> chat with the players and rah rah rah. We, we, were, we were onto the field and nobody knew who was bowling. And I, I can't remember who was captain. It might have been Paul Johnson. Um, I think he'd been in the physio room and the physio room used to be downstairs and away from the dressing room. So everybody just assumed that every, someone else was bowling. I said so none of the bowlers were ready to go. And he sort of didn't lead the team out. The umpires were on the middle and then we sort of trundled out onto the field. And I went down to, to walk down to fine leg before he told me that I was going to bowl. I was like, what's going on here then? Wasn't ready. Um, Trevor Penny, loosener, very regulation loosener into the channel, nick off, caught behind, which you know came to much to my surprise as his, I think. Um, and then two bolds to do proper dismissals to, to, to finish off that trick. Very surreal, um, bizarre moment. And as you mentioned, then that, that came on uh, towards the, the, the back end of that year it was the under 19 World Cup in South Africa, um, which you know seems like yesterday, but it's such a long time ago now. And we had a great team, we had some really good players, Graham Swanoway, Shah. Um, Rob Key, Stephen Peters, um, you know, guys who went on to have stellar international and domestic careers. And, you know, we, we, we did really, really well against some strong teams, Pakistan, India, Australia, all had a lot of players who went on to play international cricket and domestic uh, first class cricket in their countries and have some really good careers. So, yeah, fantastic memories from, from a great time. Did that then
1: lead to a bit of hype about that sort of era? I know that obviously in football, as soon as we do well in a junior tournament, yeah. everyone's like, oh, this
0: is the new generation and they're going to do really well. The golden generation, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. I don't think we were, quite, we were quite ready for, because quite a lot of the guys had played a little bit of first-class cricket. So right. myself, Oase, uh, Stephen Peters, Rob Key had sort of played quite a bit of first-class cricket by then, um, which meant that... You know, people knew of us really, but there, yeah, there were there were some unhelpful articles written at right. a time when, at a time when you, it would have been nice just to have been left to to crack on. But I suppose, like like most things, you, you just have to try and embrace it. I would encourage all of my young players that, that we work with now, if if they were to find themselves in that situation, is not to try and shy away from it. it, is to try and front it up and go with it and use it for what it is. You know, because if people want to write something, whether it's you know on social media or as an article these days, it can be done, you know, the click of a finger. So it's no good trying to avoid it. It's it's more a case of making sure that when it comes, you you embrace it for what it is and and you can go with it.
1: Yeah, I was going to mention there that obviously nowadays everything is literally on a phone uh, you can pretty much run your life from it that must be a lot yeah. tougher for the younger generation now because there's more you know pressure on them probably with with that twitter social media
0: you know instagram whatever
1: less so than when you were in the sort of 19s
0: yeah absolutely there was you know i think i had my first mobile phone when i was 20 maybe 21 so right. it was you know, we were touring and we were still <clears throat> excuse me we were still sending faxes and letters and you yeah. know but it, it seems so historic now does it? it's a generation ago pretty much um, but, yeah, the scrutiny now is greater. Um, yeah. we, we encourage all of our players to be wise um, and use social, social media to their benefit. Yeah. Um, you know, they have to be careful that they don't bring the game and the club into disrepute and, and project themselves in the wrong light. You know, that's, that's not what um, social media is there for, in my opinion. So I think um, we have a relatively strong policy as a club towards that. Um, the PCA are very strong. Um, in advising the players on what they feel should be appropriate on their social media accounts. But ultimately it's it's their responsibility. You can't sit yeah. there with them as 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 a club, we can't sit there with them when they've got the phone in the hand for 14 hours a day and we're not there. Yeah. You know, we, we have to we have to believe that they're gonna, gonna represent themselves and the club in, in the right fashion. Yeah. It's so very if... challenging for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Following on
1: from in uh, 1997, you were called up to the England A side for a tour to Zimbabwe and South Africa. What
0: are your memories from, from those tours? Um, I, I wasn't initially selected, um, much to my distaste. I was gutted. It was, it was a strong team, actually, that went. Um, and they had a really, really poor um, start to the tour because it, it didn't stop raining for about three weeks. Right. Um, and and they, got, they got out and got training. And one of the bowlers, I think it was Paul Hutchinson, actually, got injured and... I remember a call coming through from ECB, probably David Graveney, maybe Jeff Miller. I can't remember saying, listen, um, there's a chance you might need to go to Zimbabwe. Rah, 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 are you available? Yes. And I wasn't working away in, at knots at the time. You know, it was, it was more January, late January. So we we're working towards our season anyway. And he, um, he just said, give us 24 hours. We need to know that he's not going to recover. We don't think he's going to recover in time to take part in the rest of the tour. So it was like, right. Okay, cool. Uh, anyway, phone call came through, flew out. Um, and did quite well. It was it was quite an intimidating atmosphere. You know, Andrew Flintoff was making strong strides then, big character. Michael Vaughan was the captain of that trip, uh, making good strides. They were both in the Test team within a year, and obviously Vaughan went on to be captain, and Flintoff went on to be the yeah. you know the, the best well the best all rounder since Stokes, if you like. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, um, I, I love my time playing you know Lions or 18 cricket. Um, <clears throat> it was it seemed like a natural step on from county cricket. And it was a great way to broaden your cricket experience overseas in the winters, you know, to have toured uh, four or five different countries and played um, against some really strong opposition. Um, Learned a lot um, and really enjoyed it. Did, did you also ever do like stints for club sides away in Australia? Stuff? Yeah, I, I didn't go to Australia until quite late. I, I went um, basically after we just had our, our, our second little girl and, it seemed natural. My wife was on maternity leave and we, we, we went and spent the winter in Melbourne. Really enjoyed that. I thought you were going to um, say I you left the- your wife at home with the kids. <laughs> and- <laughs> yeah, no, mate, it, wasn't, it wasn't that much of a dream. Um, so we, um, yeah, I went to New Zealand earlier on in my career, sort of in my early 20s. Um, yeah. Spent a couple of, couple of years at a club down in Christchurch. Really enjoyed that. Got a fantastic relationship with the head coach down there who I still speak to regularly. Um, he's a very good man. Learned a lot from him. Mostly about coaching, actually um and how to go about you know helping players and and various bits and bobs um and spent a season in cape town well half a season in cape town as well so yeah right. decent decent resume of um geography on the on the travel yeah. front <laughs> really really enjoyed but i think that's you know I, I encourage all of our players to get out there and learn obviously it's going to be maybe more challenging moving forward but yeah. there, there was an opportunity to get out there and 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 learn about your own game in in different environments it's it's a great place to be able to go get on a get on an aeroplane and go and enjoy some different conditions.
1: Yeah, so we, we spoke about uh, added pressure. You were named uh, the Wisden Young Cricketer
0: of the Year. Um, did that add more pressure onto you as a youngster? Yeah, maybe. Um, I, think as, I think as you start to, to make strides in the game, and, and I think a lot was happening quite quickly at, at that time for me personally, um, you, you sort of look at it as if, well, it's just another step in the right direction. Yeah. you know it was it was it was more a case of that came as part of having done quite well and been quite successful so it was nice to get that accolade um obviously it's it was at a time when things were going really well um a lot of you know well well renowned uh, members of the media get to vote for that and it was it was a very nice accolade to have achieved um, against you know at a time when there were lots of good young players in county cricket so it seemed to be more of a uh, this is what happens when you do well. So I was I was yeah. delighted to to achieve it.
1: Um, and then two thousand obviously must be another highlight. You made your ODI debut uh, for England uh, against West Indies, I think it was.
0: Yep. Again, yeah. Again, that Indies must be a, a massive honour at home as well, was it? So at home. Yeah, yeah. I suppose you know people always ask me how it feels to have only played once, and I suppose if you only ever going to play once, you would want to play at home. Um, yeah. It, it was weird. It was a weird period of time. That that, that was the one part of my England Lions stroke England experience that I'd, I'd, I'd never really understood was that myself and Matthew Hoggard were both, you know, earmarked as, you know, potential bowlers to move into the England team. Matthew was doing really well in, for Yorkshire, in white ball cricket and had yeah. done really well on the TV in a few games. And I'd done really well in the championship at the start of the year. And ironically, we both got picked in the opposite teams. So I... I, right. I, I I'd scored runs and taken red ball wickets and he'd taken loads of wickets with the white ball and bowled really well at the end and he got picked in the test team and I got picked in the in the ODI team so I don't know whether too many bottles of Lord's Beaujolais got drank that day when they were (laughs) picking the team or whether that was just how it was meant to be but yeah look I I wouldn't change it for the world Um, it was was a fantastic experience Um, and one that I can still picture very clearly and And, yeah, could could it have gone better? Absolutely. Um, Do I wish I could do it all over again and and maybe do it 50 more times? Yeah, 100%. Yeah.
1: Yeah, And then the flip side of that, 2001 and sort of 2002, um, must have been real tough campaigns. Uh, You had a reoccurring knee injury. Um, How was that after being on such a high and then, you know, almost being brought back down to earth with, you know, those
0: injuries? With with a bump, yeah, exactly. It it literally felt like you were falling off a cliff. Um, I hadn't done a lot... um, I hadn't had any injuries, maybe sore shins or a sprained ankle here and there through through those first four years. And I'd constantly been playing um, summer, winter, summer, winter. So you, you sort of think you're a little bit invincible. Yeah. Um, and, and I felt fit. I felt strong. Um, and then all of a sudden, one day, I think it was, a, we went to Loughborough um, to play a pre-season friendly. Um, and it's not until you think back that you remember sort of, how it all played out, but I, I felt this niggling pain in my right knee and didn't think anything of it. It just sort of went away and sort of cracked on because much like you try and educate a lot of the players today, if you if you, if you didn't play with a niggle here and there, you, you'd never get on yeah. the field if you yeah. weren't playing as much. You know, the county cricket schedule was pretty grueling at times. Um, and basically we, we, we took the field and I, I felt okay, got through the day, woke up the next morning, I thought, oh, that's not still not quite right. But And I ca- it carried on like that for a few weeks, but it didn't really get any worse. And then we went to play Leicestershire in a one-day game at Oakham School. And I it was about an hour's drive from Nottingham down to Oakham. And we, we drove down and I got out of the car and I was like, oh, crikey, that doesn't feel right. Um, spoke with the physio, spoke with the captain. They asked me how I felt. I said I felt fine. You know, it wasn't anything I wasn't used to feeling, rah, rah, rah. Um, and then all of a sudden... You know, I went down to field a ball at fine at, at fine leg, I think, ran round, picked up, threw it in, and I just felt something felt something very strange happening in my knee. Uh, left the field and basically didn't get back on the field. So ruptured back of my patellar tendon. Um which is a tendon that runs over the top of your kneecap to connect the shin bone and thigh. Um, quite a rare injury. Um, yeah. Turned out that i 'd got like a little bone spur, bone spur on my actual knee, which had sort of been digging away a little bit, and um, we thought that there was some conservative treatment, took all sorts of advice from various people all over the world about how to how to try and get it right um, and ended up having having to have surgery just before Christmas, um, which then meant I was going to be a little bit further back and desperate to get back you try you don't shortcut but you try and fast track everything through your yeah. through your rehab a little bit which then I think probably cost me another month but then when I came back I, I, I sort of finished the season quite well um, and felt and felt good and felt you know felt happy with my form so it, it probably then took about 18 months from when I returned to play to feel normal again there was never ironic that we're talking about the new normal now there was always going to be a new, there was always going to be a new normal yeah um, and I think that was where was where I got to by probably the middle back end of the following year
1: yeah so that would have been the back end of uh, 2003 almost 2004 um, yeah that's obviously right yeah. obviously Knott's won the county championship title in 2005 um, that yeah. must have been amazing sort of following that tough 3-4 year period to come back and, and win it with knots,
0: yeah, it was, and it was at a time when you know we'd, we'd, we'd sort of not been a great side. If I, you know, it, we'd been inconsistent, um, we'd had various players come and go, um, we'd never really settled on anything, and then all of a sudden we, we, we made some astute signings, um, who, who fitted in really well, and we started to play some consistent cricket. It coincided with a, I had another. Um, niggling injury at the start of 2005 and I, I was really chasing form and I didn't play as much as I would have liked in that 2005 season I ended up carrying the drinks quite a lot the team was settled um, I found myself frustrated by not playing but I also understood that I, was, I wasn't playing because the team was doing well and I was chasing my tail a little bit looking to find some form so yeah this certainly didn't play as much as I would have liked but was delighted that after such a long wait we managed to we managed to achieve, um, you know, something that I think at the time we, we thought we could, but we weren't, we weren't confident that we would, if you know what I mean.
1: Yeah, yeah. And then you had a successful next couple of years as well. So 2008 and nine, uh, you guys finished runners-up in the county championship, and then you went back on to win it in 2010. Also in 2010, I think you opened the batting a
0: little bit as well, which is a bit of a different role. Uh, how was <laughs> yeah. that? Uh, yeah, it was good. Um, we, we started, to, like I say, we, I think after 2005, that, that team sort of reached its peak. So we, we, we saw quite a, a lot of guys move on and we sort of took, then took another couple of years to really settle back into, right, we're moving towards something here. Durham were very strong at that time. Yorkshire had a very strong side at that time. So we were tracking against them. They, I think Durham won it two years in a row possibly. And then we, we came, like you say, as runners up to them. So for us to win it in 2010 was the highlight of my career from a Nottinghamshire point of view. Um, I was a much more prevalent role in that in that team, and in good form, which you know yeah. as a sportsman is, is, is all we ever want. It's you know is that consistency of form, and you're working you're working really hard to make sure you can get that. Um, but as you mentioned, it was we, we we played brilliantly at the start of 2010. We were really consistent. We had Hashim Amla as our overseas player, who was at the peak of his powers, and he was playing beautifully. Um but Diga and he did plenty and he just made it look so easy. As the time went on, we had injuries to our top order batters. We wanted to get a spinner into the team, um, which meant that I was I think I was the one that got drawn out of the hat. Um, <laughs> I remember being called in by the captain, Chris Reed and the coach Mick, Mick Newell, and then they were like, Right, we're gonna we want you to open the bat in for the last month of the season. I was like, What? Because um, I'd, I'd done it in white ball cricket and you know it's a bit different in white ball cricket. You can you sort of free yeah. up and just, just try and take advantage of the fielding restrictions and go for it. But I don't think that was what they were after for the red ball. <laughs> I remember playing against Yorkshire. We lost the toss and got put in and we, was, we'd still, we still had game a game or two to win. We were, we were ahead, but we were just starting to show signs of losing our form. We'd played really well for 12 games or 11 games we got a month left and I had a big swing at this wide thing that was barely within the tram lines and nicked it to second slip. And honestly, I think it was halfway through the third over and I walked off and I thought, Oh my God, you could have heard a pin drop. Everybody in the ground, There was a decent <laughs> crowd, decent crowding because they were hoping that we were going to get, you know, get moving and you could have heard a pin drop. And I sat in the changing room. I think I just sat with my pads on in disbelief for about, three hours thinking what the hell have I just done but then thankfully we got pulled out cheaply and we we ended up losing the game but then I got 90 in the second innings which was a little bit more Alistair Cook than Brian Lara if you like in the (laughs) second innings just just looking for something on my pads and make sure I leave it outside off stump um but yeah I enjoyed it I I, I took it on as a different challenge and if it you know if it helped the team at a time when you know we were looking for an option that I was delighted to do it yeah, and then in 2012, I believe you were actually
1: allowed to to speak to other counties. Not not gave you permission to go and speak to other counties, but you decided to to stay with the knots. Was that a tough yeah. decision, or was that pretty easy? Uh,
0: it, it, it felt tough at the time, but with the benefit of hindsight, it wasn't really. Um, I I got to a point where I was contemplating what my next steps were going to be. You know, I played at the same place all my life since I was like, I walked through the door as a ten year old, eleven year old. Um, so I'd been I'd been at the club for 23, 24 years, and it, and, and in my mind it was it was about making sure I, w- I was still in the right place. You know, I, I drove that conversation. I asked the club whether you know where, where everything sat at. Listen, whatever you want to do, it's absolutely fine. We're not, you know, you you're, you're entitled to to want to finish your career on on the right terms. Yeah. Um, and they, they were very understanding of it all. We had some very open dialogue. And the, the challenge that we, we came to was, you know, am I still happy? You know, my all my family and friends are, are local. I can still achieve everything that I want to achieve in my career. I don't really feel the need to want to move. And that, and that didn't take long to decide. I just needed a point, in my, I think, in my, in my own head where I, I, I said, right, okay, make sure you're thinking the right things here. make sure we're yeah. still motivated for the right reasons. Um, and thankfully, that you know, like you said, that, that that carried on as, as you mentioned, and I and I finished my playing career with knots. Yeah. And then in two thousand
1: and fourteen, uh, you took on the the second team captaincy. Was this sort of a sign of are you moving into more of a mentoring slash coaching role? Um, just just because usually people don't generally take on the captaincy of the twos, you know, it, that's yeah sort of a younger thing.
0: Yeah. No. It, you're right. It is, and I, it, it was an interesting time. I, I think the club took the decision to. They wanted some more experience in that second team. I think they felt they got a decent crop of young players who were, who they wanted some on-hands advice uh, on the field. Um, I'd had a couple of indifferent years form-wise. The body was starting to creak a little bit. I was finding it hard to back up games. So I'd, I'd be fine for a week. And then I'd, if I had a heavy workload for a week, I'd I'd really find it difficult in the, in, in the next few days to get back yeah. into training to make sure I was ready for the next four-day game. So... The lesser tempo of, of second eleven cricket, three day cricket, the odd one day game here and there. You know, it seemed like a good idea. Uh, it, it, like you say, it gave me a chance to start to look into coaching um, and running teams um, from a different point of view. I wasn't just concentrating on my own game anymore. Yeah, and um, that that was an opportunity for me then to to go and to go and do that. I really enjoyed it. I mean, it gave me a chance to step away from first team cricket for a little bit and and, and crack on and and do and do what I really love, which was still to be involved in the game.
1: Yeah, and then in 2015,
0: you actually announced
1: your uh, retirement from first-class cricket, featured for knots for over a decade, uh, and then you actually still went on to captain the second team. Was that, again, then more of a coach's
0: sort of captain or, you know, less sort of playing? Yeah, I probably should have retired from first-team cricket before then. It just seemed like a natural time to do it. Um, Yeah. I think the club liked the idea of me potentially being available for emergencies, so I never really did for a period of time. We just sort of left it on the back burner and never said anything about it. But I think that once the decision had been made that I was going to move into full-time coaching work and, and start to work with the players, you, you don't sort of want that hanging over your head of the idea that you could get a tap on the shoulder and you're actually playing next week. Um, so, yeah, I, it was... It naturally occurred that way. And and I started to step back more from playing in, even in the second team then as well, because right. as the team, as it, the diversity of that team changed, um, one or two, like you say, one or two characters came through that looked like they might have captaincy potential, they then got more opportunity and I sort of stepped away from it, which you know was naturally the right thing to do. Yeah, and then also in 2015, you became the
1: assistant coach of UAE um, before the World Cup, I think that was, particularly as a, as a fielding sort of aspect on it. How, how was that?
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd done some work um, just through some connections in Dubai. Um, I'd been out and done a little bit of work with them in the November um, when they were going to the World Cup in january um february march which was in australia and new zealand um and they were having a camp and i had gone out just just to get some experience really enjoyed it got on well with all the players got on well with the coaching staff they were looking for someone to add to their team and i'd taken some responsibility for setting up fielding practice it wasn't really more a case of me becoming a fielding coach it was giving them structure around how white ball particularly 50 over cricket how their fielding should look and work yeah. um and the types of setups and it, it was as much tactical as it was technical yeah because um, because fielding you know had been neglected and um, they hadn't really looked at it in the level of depth that they should have done and they hadn't needed to because of the standard that they were playing at but i think when they were going to play on big grounds in australia um, they needed to, to think about the, their fielding differently so uh, yeah i took on that responsibility really enjoyed it obviously a cricket world cup is a very special thing and you know we were lucky I was lucky to, to join um, that, that, that tournament and um, took a lot away from it, watched a lot of very very good coaches and players at working um, up close um, and sort of added as much knowledge as you can at that time um, to, to use in the future yeah and then in two thousand and sixteen you actually became um, head coach was that a part time role with them it was, yeah. Akib Javid had just gone back to Pakistan, who he'd been the head coach for quite some time of the UAE, he'd gone back to the PSL franchise of the Lahore Calandas. Um They were looking for someone to run their tour to Scotland, um, and oh, it was quite important at the time. I think there was some qualification um, stuff going on. Um, so, yeah, I went over to Dubai for a month, uh, right in the middle of July, which is an experience. That's The hottest I've ever been. I know we've had a hot few days, but that was crazy. And we were training outdoors at 6 a.m. in the morning because it was the only time we could get outside. Um, But yes, I really enjoyed that fantastic experience. Um, We lost a very close series against a decent Scotland team who had done very well in their own conditions and, and were very savvy in their own conditions. And it was around about that time where they were looking for, the UAE were looking for a new head coach and we, we, we had a quite upfront and open conversation about it. Um, they were interested, I was interested and it, it never really materialised. Um, it wasn't an opportunity missed, it was an opportunity that could have been and maybe might have been had things been different at home uh, yeah. in terms of where we were with everything that was going on. Um, with Nottinghamshire, but that you know, I, I thoroughly enjoyed my time working with them. Fantastic bunch of cricketers, great organisation, um, and they love cricket for the right reasons. they they've got some very talented players, um, and you know, associate cricket, you know, is, is is very strong, and it needs to be it needs to be embraced.
1: Yeah, obviously that's a massive part for for us in Guernsey. Uh, associate cricket, and I mean, we're coming up against guys last year when we played Germany. Uh, Craig Masheda playing in the tournament. Um, there was uh, an ex Afghanistani bowler as well who had a decent bit of pace behind him. Um and then I think they also called up uh, is it Michael Richardson from Durham and I think Oliver yeah. also available as along with Dieter Klein. So, you know, we're playing sort of county players um in international games, which is it's great for us. It's a great experience.
0: Yeah, it seems to be seems to have been more to the fore, doesn't it? You look at some of the you know, even in the USA now, you know ex-players who've played domestic and international cricket from around the world turn up playing for these yeah <clears throat> as you say different countries now and hopefully that's good for uh, associate cricket and and it strengthens the teams I just hope it doesn't lose sight of what happens underneath as well you're not just thinking too much they're not just thinking too much about the team that they have to put out tomorrow yeah, yeah they're building infra- infrastructure underneath as well
1: yeah I mean that's a massive thing for us obviously we can't we don't call upon these people. We don't have regularly uh, people turning up who are born in Guernsey of county cricketers um, or with Guernsey heritage. So for us, it's a massive uh, set the platform at junior level and try and progress these players and get them through into our senior system. Bowled him! Beautiful bit of bowling from William Peatfield. The stump comes crashing out the ground, and that's a big wicket here in Guernsey versus Denmark at the KG5. That's the first wicket. Letizia is the one who strikes. He gives it a big celebration. He writes it up in a book. He notes it down and sends them up. You can add Manpreet Singh to that list. That's the breakthrough Letizia needed. That's the breakthrough Guernsey needed. And that's the breakthrough.
0: that Mark Ladder to my left wants. a big smile on his face.
1: And a wonderful shot there. Cover drive. for Oaks already finding the boundary twice in this game. 2016, you were promoted from second team captain and academy coach from Knott's to assistant coach, assisting Peter Moores. Um, I mean, he must be a great guy to learn from with his coaching experience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, every, day, every day is a great day. You know, you're learning something new. He's, he's very enthusiastic. He's very driven. He's been doing it for years. And he's been fantastic for our club. He, he, makes, yeah. he challenges us. He puts us under pressure in terms of what we're doing and how we're going about doing it. Um, and he gives us opportunity within it all as well. It's, it's, it's not been straightforward. Um, we've we've pretty much overhauled the whole squad in what like four or five years. You know, we yeah. had we had we had a team that was coming towards the end of its time, if you like. Iconic players, Chris Reid, the former captain. You know, he was he was about to retire. So there were loads of things that we had to do, and we knew that we had to do them sensitively and with with skill to get to a point where we could then move forward again.
1: Yeah, how did you find it transitioning from from playing into coaching? Because obviously, it was quite a quick transition for you.
0: It was. Um, do you know, initially, when I, when I thought about coaching for the first time, was probably when I was in, like I say, when I was in New Zealand, so I'd have been in my early 20s, and I just naturally thought I'd, I'd become a coach eventually. And it was all for the wrong reasons. It wasn't until I actually started to think about coaching and why I wanted to coach that I realized that I actually wanted to do it more. Right. Um, I just assumed that because cricket was what I'd always done, that I'd just move into becoming a coach. And that was, you know, that was like I say, twenty years ago, a very naive way to yeah. approach it. With experience, you then start to think more about the people that you're coaching and how you're going to coach them and all that type of stuff. But I, I, I suppose, I just tried to be tried to be me. You know, I tried to, I tried to be approachable and personable, and 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 if someone needed me, then I'd be there and available for them, um, and show that you're prepared to put in a shift. You know, go and go and spend time, go and spend hours working with players. Um, yeah. Go and buy them a coffee. Go and play around a round of golf with them. Whatever it needs to be, what, however, what way, shape, or form they feel like they need to connect with you at any given time. Yeah, um, just just make sure you're available. Um, I, I think that's stood me in pretty good stead. Did Did you find it hard to um,
1: possibly not the right word isn't gain respect, but did the players find it hard that you were sort of a player one year and then more of a coach, or was it that slow transition into coaching which sort of helped that?
0: Yeah, I think I think they were okay with it. I I, I think because I. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd been that senior player in that dressing room for a while. Yeah. Um, they'd, they'd sort of appreciated me for what I was and how I was going about it anyway. Um, and like I say, there was, there was a transition of players, um, which meant that some of the new players that came in didn't really know me anyway from my playing right. career. Yeah. And I'm sure if you asked oh, half of the lads that we've got now, they wouldn't even know that I played. So that <laughs> sort of happened. It happened quite quickly. Yeah. yeah, it does. Mate. It's weird and it's bizarre, but it, it, you move on so quickly. Yeah. And the game, the game has evolved such a lot in a short space of time um, with the formats that are out there now, the opportunities that that presents to, to all of the players and coaches for that matter. That, I think it was, it, it's, it felt like a natural progression and you never quite know how it's going to work until you go and do it. Did I get everything right? Absolutely not. I just tried to keep the howler off the sheet. I tried yeah. to make sure that I I didn't have an absolute stinker where I'd be dragging it back for months on end. Yeah, um, and I, I try and keep that at the forefront of my mind now.
1: And then in 2017 and 18, you involved um, in the ECB's North versus South uh, sort of like a pre-season camp. That was a great actual watch on Sky Sports did a documentary and it. it was really interesting yeah. watch. I don't know if that's actually still a thing, but how was that to work with sort of like the next run yeah. of England's best players?
0: Yeah, it was. it was. It was a time when Andrew Strauss was director of England Cricket and he was looking for the next cabs off the rank from a 50 over point of view, obviously. Yeah. All, all, all the um, attention to detail at that point was towards last year's World Cup, the lead into last year's World Cup, making sure that there was squad depth if they needed it. And we'd had a successful time in white ball cricket at Knotts. I was asked if I wanted to go and take part in this series in, in Barbados which you know, didn't take me too long to think about yeah. um, and, and thankfully yeah, we had a great time I knew quite a lot of the lads from having you know played against them and, and said hello to them and, and I think every now and then working with a slightly different group it keeps you on your toes Yeah. if you, if you go away and work with six or seven different players we had a couple of lads from notch Stephen Mullaney was in that squad and other players I'd worked with before it just keeps you on your toes you have to go back to your basics a little bit you have to go back to making sure you can connect with new players quite quickly. Um, yeah. We didn't have loads and loads of time to to build a relationship, so you've got to crack on and and, and get on with it. And we managed to beat the South, which was very satisfying. <laughs>
1: uh, you've also been, or you were going to be involved in the newly formed uh, The 100 competition uh, with the Trent Rockets assistant coach, working with Stephen Fleming. I mean, he's got a huge amount of experience with IPLs and everything else, coaching as well as playing I mean that would have been really exciting. Obviously, that's sort of delayed now for another twelve months. Yeah,
0: yeah, that was that, that was something I was really looking forward to. Um, a, a great opportunity. Um, hopefully, you know, if, if ever, we've not heard too much about how it's all going to shape up in in the, in the coming months, so hopefully, if we can still get the opportunity next year, that would be great. Um, I know from having I mean, when Stephen came over in autumn last year when we sat down and sort of did our planning for before the draft happened and all those various bits and bobs. He was very excited about it. He came across very well, presented well. I knew him from obviously when we played together um, for a few seasons when he was captain, uh, what to expect. But he was, he was very clear on what he wanted and how he wanted to go about it. And we just had to make sure that we were prepared to get on board with that and add quality where we could. But yeah, I think it's, it's obviously diversified opinion across cricket yeah. about, about where, it, where it's place where the 100 sits within the game and how it's going to shape in the future. I don't think anybody can can really answer that question until, we, until it gets up and running. Yeah, and yeah. and we, we get to a point in a few years' time where we can turn around and say, yes, it worked or no, it didn't.
1: Yeah, and then sort of the final thing on coaching, how have you found um, the sort of modern era of coaching? Uh, obviously, the game's changed drastically from when you first started playing to now. I think I actually saw a clip of you the other day throwing at Ben Duckett with a helmet on.
0: yeah thanks mate you make me feel a bit older Um, yes it has the game has changed dramatically very very quickly as I mentioned just a minute ago I think it the opportunities now that are in the game the world felt very small 12 months ago guys were flying off to play in tournaments in all these parts of the world for 3 weeks 4 weeks 10 days and and being paid very well for doing so and and a lot of those opportunities are in forms of white ball cricket mostly T20 but now there's T10 and you know there was going to be the 100 and probably still will be the 100 um so the, these these cross format players now are and, and understandably players want to develop that aspect of the game right? you know that's that's where that's where they see themselves if if they don't feel that they can make that next step into test match cricket which not every player who plays cricket in England is going to play Test match cricket for England. Um, then the players are going to look for other opportunities to to do as well as they can for themselves yeah. and for their families. But who knows where the game might be in, in ten, 10 years time? You know, uh, we, we we sat in two thousand and ten, and if you said to me that you know we'd be sat in twenty twenty talking about all these different formats and different opportunities and how the game's looking, I'd have, I'd have said you know we're going a bit mad. But yeah. in twenty thirty, yeah. we could be have in twenty thirty, we could be having a very different conversation.
1: Yeah, no, definitely. Um, moving on, just a couple of sort of quick fire questions. Uh, <coughs> you got any sort of funny cricketing stories? We try and keep them from on the pitch uh, rather than off it because sure there's plenty <laughs> of it.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. No, the, the, those days are gone now. You can't get away with anything off the pitch and you can't get away with much on it now. Um, yeah, look, a, a lot of my most recent ones, my long term memory is not great, but I, we play at knots with a guy called Luke Fletcher who is a very, very funny guy. I had a horrendous injury on the TV a few years ago, if you remember, yeah. where that ball, ball hit him on the head. Thankfully, he's made a very good recovery. Um, and he's a very fine bowler in his own right. But anytime he's on the field, most days, there's normally a story or two. Um, <laughs> the umpires love him. Players love playing with him. So if you ever get the chance to to get him to come to Guernsey to do an after-dinner set or anything like that. If you're ever looking for someone, he's fantastic value. And I'll, I'll, I won't go divulging into his stories because I'm sure that Mr Nussbaum or someone will, will want him <laughs> somewhere at some point and he will, he will entertain everybody royally, so he's your man.
1: Um, and then on, on top of that, uh, who's the sort of best player you've played with or against or sort of like the most talented?
0: <sighs> I'd, I'd, I'd say the most consistent and the most driven and the most um professional would be chris Reed, um right, he was yeah. still trying to get better. he was still trying to get better the last day he played, yeah you know and and that to me is a really good testament for for any young player to set out to do you know whether he should have played for England more or less or done this or done that that's for. That's for us all to discuss over, over a few beers. and that, you know, I'm his biggest fan, so I, I know which side of that argument I fall on. But having worked with him as a player and worked with him as captain and worked with him as a coach, I, I really appreciated how good he was. Yeah. Um, as, as captain, he was quiet. He was measured. He took his time, um, but he was brave enough to make decisions. Um, he led from the front by his performance and his, his ability to read situations and play the game. And like I say, the players had so much respect for him. Um, they loved him for how he was um, and he played the game for the right reasons. The game was there to be enjoyed and, and he was dedicated to that.
1: Yeah, no, 100%. Obviously a very good wicketkeeper um, yeah. who held his own just on that front. Um, yeah, absolutely. Your, your favourite cricketing memory? <laughs> Whew, favorite I know it's probably tough memory. to pin one down. But...
0: Yeah, I'd go back to the last day of the 2010 season when we had to we had to accumulate a number of bonus points Um, We were playing Lancashire at Old Trafford to make sure we won the county championship. Somerset were playing, Durham at Chester's Street. The weather had been terrible for the week. We managed to play the first day, about 30 overs. And it was at that time when I was opening the batting. Um, And I think I got 40 and played quite well. It was a good pitch. It was a good pitch. We got to a bit of a flyer. Um, And Somerset were playing more cricket up at Durham. And if they accumulated more points and won their game and we didn't, they were going to win the championship. etc so it was a bit to and fro we were watching what they were doing they were watching what we were doing and we basically had to get to 400 and declare accumulate our batting points and then take three wickets so we had to we worked out what we needed to do and right okay we're going to do this and we managed to get to 390 for nine with an hour and a half left so the next 11 runs between 10 and 11 took forever but we got there they came running off um and then we took the three wickets in four overs. Right. and that was it we we so we won the the game just stopped we won, we'd won the championship the game stopped we would just off um <laughs> and it was a great evening um fantastic evening with some really really good friends good people and when you've been working together for something for an extended period of time it was really really good to feel that achievement that would be the the best day of my career
1: sort of touching it there but knots uh, always seem to have uh, the but the balance of on the pitch and off the pitch I always see little pictures of you end of season do's always look like there a good crack with you on a fancy dress that looks pretty good. Yeah.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's important. I think at a time when sport is being professionalized to the extreme, showing that you can have some fun and let your hair down a little bit and that you can be, you can be the normal bloke in the street as well. I think helps you connect back to the reasons why you play. Yeah. Um, you know, we've got some great support at our club You know, we connect. I think we're getting better and better and better at connecting to our support base. Um, And they, I think, they want to see that we work hard and we play hard. You know, when the time's right, we advise our players to to relax and enjoy themselves. You know, we don't want them to be we don't want them to be going on benders for days on end. That's not what we're after. You know, we we want them to get the work life balance right. Um, And I'm sure, you know, having seen Liverpool win win the league last night, that Jürgen Klopp's yeah. saying exactly the same thing. Yeah. I'd be very surprised if he's not. So, yes, when you're at work, when you're representing the club, make sure you get all that right. But when the time's right, you can also relax and enjoy yourself.
1: Yeah, and then moving into the Knots current dressing room, just a couple of sort of soccer AM questions, if you like. Uh, who's the current sort of player's player, the one that everyone thinks is
0: the gun? Oh, crikey. Um... depends what format you're talking about we've had some tough times in red ball cricket so I don't think anybody will be putting their hands up for that just yet, hopefully in a year's time we'll come back to that Um, Alex Hale's in white ball cricket they know know that he's just going to deliver he's a fantastic fantastic player um, in that format, Um, Samit Patel as well I'm going back to some of the more experienced ones the crowd love him You know, he he could have five ducks in a five ducks in a row, and have bowled the worst he's ever bowled, and they'd still sing sing his name (laughs) on a Friday night. And then day in, day out, you know, Luke Fletcher gives it gives his all. He's just got he's he's the type of bloke that players love playing with. We've got a lot of very very talented players across our squad. Um, Shaping the team is the biggest challenge at the minute, and making sure that they understand what uh, the the team stands for and how they should move forward with that. so, yeah, I'm hoping a few more of those guns, as you say, will, will, will appear over the next few years. Yeah. Uh, who's the messiest in the dressing room? God, that's the one thing with having a young team. They're all messy. <laughs> um, who's the messiest? I would say probably Clark. Yeah, Joe Clark. They have like a grey nickels corner where they have Chris Nash and Joe Clark. And their kit just sort of morphs into this big pile, which with the current hygiene regulations, I'm not sure is going to work very well. Hopefully we'll spread out next week a bit more, um, but they're, they're, yeah just a mess. Just there's stuff everywhere.
1: And then who's the joker in the team? Luke Fletcher. Uh, most vain. That's obviously not most Luke Fletcher. Vain.
0: No, that's not Fletcher. <laughs> no. um, I think probably Jake Ball. Yeah, he's another one that came more. to Guernsey actually. Didn't he? Yes, he, came he did. To GPL. Yeah. yeah. Yes, he did. Yeah. Um, he would try not to. He wouldn't like the fact that I said that, but he sort of tries not to. Um, but does a very good job of looking very chipper all the time uh, and
1: then who's the teacher's pet who's always sucking up to the coach which is obviously a bit That's harder also... is in some place in teams so.
0: yeah no it's, it, it wouldn't be Tom Th- those two just <laughs> ruck all the time <laughs> they're just going on at each other I'll I, yeah, I just let them get on with it um, who's the teacher's pet I've not seen them all for three months so it would be interesting <laughs> when we go back next week whether there's a new teacher's pet actually um, yeah you'll have to wait for me on that one because I, th- I think it might evolve so we'll, we'll revisit that one
1: yeah okay best trainer someone that's always just works their socks off you know does all the extra work
0: um, Joe Clark
1: yeah he's. I mean he looks like a fantastic prospect for, for the future yeah,
0: very gifted worked I'm, I'm, I was frustrated for him that the season came I was frustrated for them all actually when the season came to a halt before it even started but in particular his work ethic over the course of the winter had taken not just himself as an athlete but as a batsman to a new level yeah. um so yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how how they all shape up but in particular he he probably was our standout performer across our winter program
1: and then worst trainer not necessarily someone who just is the worst trainer but someone who just doesn't want to actually be a trainer. you know they come in for their two-hour slot and then they're straight out i think steve finn last week told me that um tim murta runs out the car park in his spikes, runs into next bowl and then runs back out.
0: <laughs> Brilliant. Love it. Um, I think they'll all be looking forward to training next week, but that could soon, that could soon dwindle. Um, who's the worst trainer? Sam, it will stay for as long as he can, and he'll always be waiting at the end of the net for another round, in the, right. another round of hits. He'll hit for an hour, then he'll wait until everybody else is hit and then he'll make sure that he has another hour at the end, and it's like, oh, really? <laughs> um, so those, I think off. if if you view, yeah yeah if you view that as worst, then that could be the worst. Um, yeah, some of them do just dash off. Um, Nashi doesn't do a lot of training. I think you trust him. I think when you've played as lot as as much as he has, he's a very you know very gifted player. Once he gets into the rhythm of playing, he'll just do enough to keep yeah. himself sharp. He sees it as a way of making sure that he, he never gets bored when he gets out into the middle. Um, so yeah, Nashi would, Nashi probably wouldn't wouldn't spend too much time in the net. Uh, and then who's the hard man of the team? Who's the tough guy? <laughs> <laughs> we, haven't got any, we haven't got any. We've not got any alpha males. Who's the tough guy? We've got a few. Think they are. We lost ours. Our, our, our Iron Man was Michael Lom. When we lost him, yeah. we sort of lost our. We lost <laughs> our. Um, a stone in the corner of the room, a rock, if you like. We don't really have an. I'm waiting for the next one to emerge. Really, um, there's a couple of younger ones who I think could turn into it. I won't too right. put too much pressure on them by naming them. Uh, a couple of lads who are on rookie contracts who are actually, ooh, crikey, you're all right, you. Um, <laughs> if, so if, if we manage to get his cricket their, and their cricket up to the up to the right levels, I think they could be you know, some some proper proper steel in that corner. Uh, and then who's Mr. Grumpy? Oh God. Um, probably, the, probably half the bowling unit halfway through day three. Um, mostly the bowlers. Mostly the bowlers or the batters when the nets aren't very good. <laughs> so if, the, if the nets are rubbish, and yeah, if they get a bit spicy, the, the bowlers can't wait to bowl and the batters don't want to bat. Um, who's Mr. Grumpy? Who would that be?
1: It's probably a good thing that, you know, it's that, it's that challenging. It seems that like they're all probably in a good place.
0: Yeah, I, I think I think they are. They're, no, they're not too grumpy. Um, they're not. They're not that style. No, no, no real grumpy. It's probably me actually.
1: <laughs> and then finally, on the on this little section, uh, who's the biggest badger who just
0: eats and sleeps cricket? Yeah, that's me. Um, no, that <laughs> that is me. Uh, I think Stephen Melania's captain. You know, prides himself on knowing knowing a lot of stuff. Um, important that stuff's important to him. You know, he, he likes to know everything he can on where we're playing, what we're doing, who we're playing against, what their form's been like, you know, from the ground to the umpires, to everything, you know, everything you can imagine about the next game or the games coming up, he'll know. And then he'll know, he'll read it again at bedtime and then again in the morning and then he's very clued in, well clued into it. Uh,
1: And then finally, just to finish off, uh, I've asked you to come up with your, um, sort of either best team played with or against. You've gone for a best team of overseas players, I believe.
0: I have, yeah, because if I I picked a knots eleven the other day to play against my knots A team against my knots B team, um, which was done on a podcast a few weeks ago, and I managed to upset a few people. So I think it's in our best interest just to. to <laughs> I don't think I'm don't think I'm going to upset any of these blokes um, because this looks like an absolute worldy eleven. So um, we'll stick with this for now. Otherwise, if I, if I keep upsetting people in Nottinghamshire, it's not that big a place. <laughs> um and I think I could have people banging on my door very quickly. Okay, let's so we'll go with we'll go with Michael devenuto to open the batting. Yeah. Durham, Sussex, Derbyshire. Matthew Hayden.
1: Yeah, I mean Northamptonshire
0: North handy. Uh Australia coach Justin Langer, number three. So that's a very left handed Australian top yeah. three. I had Brian Lara at number four. It's
1: just a team of lefties, no preference team. That you're about left-handed, is it?
0: No, exactly. it's not, no, It's a team of lefties. Then I went for Stuart Law just to break it up a little bit. He was an absolute wizard. Uh, Adam Gilchrist, who I, I didn't, he didn't play county cricket, but he played for Australia A. So yeah. that sort of, that, I couldn't find a a wicketkeeper that had played or I'd played against. And then the, this bowling attacks, unbelievable. Wasim Akram, yeah. um, Shane Warne, Mushtaq Ahmed. Showbacktar and Courtney Walsh.
1: Yeah, that's pretty special. Uh, even Mushy did exceptionally well in uh, for Sussex, didn't he? He was just unbelievable. Yeah. The amount of wickets he took When I was looking back at stats, actually, I think he was leading wicket taker for about five years in a row.
0: Guess, oh, and he, he just was... loved bowling. I, like Morsey was his coach, obviously. And we talk we talk a lot about the teams that he's worked with, and in particular that Sussex team and Mushdak and bits and bobs. Um, and he just loved bowling. He just bowled and bowled and bowled and bowled and bowled and, bowled and yeah, Hove was hope was set up for him at, at that point. That you know, by day three and four, you could if you found yourself trying to save a game or chase a score down, yeah, he'd just clean up. He'd just clean up. Yeah, no, he was was ridiculous. Thanks very much, mate, for coming on. It's been a
1: pleasure to catch up once again. Um, so you're no back problem, out mate.
0: back outside next week, is it? Back into normal? Yeah, was, yeah. Hopefully, well, I'm not sure what normal will look like, mate. Yeah, um, I think it'll be small group to start with, and I think there'll be a number of protocols well there will be a number of protocols that we have to follow uh hopefully the first week in july we should um get a better steer on what the rest of the season looks like for us in, you know in terms of august and september and maybe a little bit of october but yeah i'm hopeful that you know if we get into getting into some decent routine with training and the weather stays fine then we can still yeah. you know get something useful out of the season if cricket in october you'll be wearing your beanies and hoodies in the field <laughs> yeah the chaos
1: <laughs> no, thanks very much, mate. Cheers for that. I really appreciate you coming on.
0: Pleasure. No worries, mate. All the best to everybody Cheers. down there. Yeah, well do, mate. Cheers. Thanks very much. Cheers, mate. Thank
1: you for listening to the Guernsey Cricket Podcast. Remember to hit the subscribe
0: button and stay
1: safe. Should be